Welcome to South African Mental Health Central. Uh, this is a conversation with Letu. Um, today we'll be discussing quite a few things, but primarily the thing that we're going to be talking about is being a man. And uh, basically, it's a discussion that I'll be having with Letu. Letu, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Reggie? I'm, I'm well, thanks. You know, uh, I think uh, I'm more interested in discussing this issue of being a man. It's topic of being a man, which is something that hardly take place in a country like South Africa. And I can only imagine what it feels for other men out there. I wonder what you, you, you have to maybe reflect on that, your experience of that as well. Yeah, I mean, the issue of what it means to be a man has plagued men for decades of centuries and eons. So it's not something new, but certainly something that has kept itself fresh, yeah, comes back yeah. every now and again. And it's a question that actually haunts men in most cases because it needs an answer. Mm-hmm. And an answer that has to come from a really good background theoretically as well yeah, as practically yeah. having seen it play itself out and matching the theory to the practice and then finding yourself a good definition in that whole mix. Mm. So it's a difficult question, but it's a good question because we need to constantly ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I wonder, I don't know if I might be wrong. What what might be the silence around it? Is it because nobody knows the real definition of it all? Or there's just a lot of uh, just confusion with, with regard to maybe the people who are currently uh, existing as men? Uh, or confusion with uh, our great-grandfathers or our grandfathers as such? No, I mean, there is confusion, um, but I don't think the silence is actually caused yeah. by confusion. In my personal perspective, it's actually because it's constantly changing, yeah. and it's a question that actually reflects the moment in time we're in. So even the silence around answer reflects the moment yeah, in time yeah. and i think if you think about masculinity being something that we need to negotiate it's not a given it's something that happens in a particular context through negotiation yeah, yeah. then you realize that there is no right answer all the time and it's going to be yeah. a very nuanced answer and therefore yeah, you get one yeah. male to say this is the answer yeah creates yeah. more confusion than it provides us with um a good support yeah, yeah. Is it is it you? Are you saying that is it's it's more of a subjective experience? Because I reckon that being a multicultural country that we are, sure thing that the the definition of masculinity might differ based on uh, whatever culture and upbringing we are coming from. Or is there any universal uh, standard? of what it means to be a, a real man? I think there is a general understanding that we can all share about at which point do mm. I look at myself in the mirror and say, as a man, male, um, with certain sexual reproductive organs that make me male, but now I'm, I've transcended just the biological, I've become yeah. a man in this in the construct sense. And there are general principles that apply yeah. even in that, yeah. that I think we can all subscribe to and that we are comfortable to subscribe to. I think the question is more around how in those moments when we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say I'm male, what does it say to those ideas of maleness that you heard and had before? Yeah. And now you're trying to redefine yourself in the new idea that you are you see and that you like and that you are espoused Mm. to. But now there is a whole process of redefining yourself. And I think Mm. That's the difficult part. That's the part that we are all stuck in in one way. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you just think, for instance, about what is going on right now 
in South Africa being relegated yeah. to junk status, as an example, we, we find ourselves in an economy that is dominated by men. Men that have made certain decisions to hold yeah. up the economy. Now, those men have not done well. Yeah. So, yeah. in this point in time, what do those men do when they look at themselves in the mirror? Yeah. Government men? Private sector men? How do they feel about their maleness? Yeah. And how do they yeah. define their yeah. maleness? Even though the downgrade may not have been directly their fault. Yeah. But the concept of leadership embedded in masculinity is challenging them to take ownership of what is going on. And so even in this particular moment, you realize that the, def- the redefining yeah. of maleness yeah. has to happen so that they could have yeah. a bit yeah. more yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. understanding of, well, this is not really all my fault, but I need to be able to do something about it to the capacity of my maleness yeah. that is what yeah. it is right now. As opposed to if the economy had fallen flat, let's say, 50 years ago, and yeah. there was a different man or a different idea of a man back then. And perhaps he could take a greater responsibility yeah. back then than he should yeah. take right now. But what do you think is the issue? Because to some extent, I do feel like because there's no defined identity or a standardized definition of what it means to be a real man in South Africa. Maybe our leaders are struggling with the same kind of the same kind of predicament because there isn't anything that actually serves as a standard in South Africa when it comes to definition or identifying what a man looks like. Look, I think Reggie, from from certainly where I sit, I look at a definition of masculinity in relation to the definition of femininity. So it's not masculinity, yes? There hasn't been quite a good definition or reflection of femininity as such, because when when men hear femininity, they hear feminism, so they block their ears immediately. Exactly. So, uh, in fact, what you just raised was a point I wanted to get to. So if you think about the definition of masculinity being in relation to the definition of femininity, then you start to realize that for us to find a good, comfortable idea of what masculinity is, we need to negotiate it with a very healthy, good idea of femininity. And if these two currently operating in these two opposites, where they don't even get a chance to talk, then what you're finding is that we don't get to come to a process of definition. And that's where the problem is. And that's where you see the silence and the tension. The other thing associated with this, in my point of view, is that when we do define masculinity or we do define femininity, yeah. and usually it's men defining femininity and women defining masculinity, mm. what you find is that we are throwing stones at each other. It is a very conflictual conversation. Yeah. And that conflictual conversation often ends in people feeling resentful to the concept yeah. of femininity and the concept of masculinity. It's not something that we embrace anymore. Yeah. And as a result, we are fighting too much and not getting yeah. to have a healthy conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I actually always say since since I actually started uh, studying this concept of masculinity, I've actually resorted to allowing the fact that I've, as long as I haven't lived in the body spirit of a woman, I cannot comment or rather make suggestion on how to be a woman, which I think uh, recently a lot of people, as you're saying, that a lot of people do uh, know a lot about the other than they do know about themselves and um, all the identities that they belong to. But then, you know what? Uh, one of the things that I actually want to know um, with regard to the identity formation, uh, to some extent, I don't know whether... Uh, 
our generation is still uh, actually uh, suffering from all those undefined identity from the previous generation. Oh, is this is just our existential problem that we are faced with with regard to uh, information age and a lot of being information being passed around and a lot of confusion going on. So I don't know whether whatever that we're struggling with as men in the country is because of what our forefathers have not done and we are suffering that as a result. Or we this is just the, the problem that we are faced with in relation to the revolution of women and feminism at this moment. Yeah, I mean, look, my my thinking right now is actually it could be a lot of things coming together in one. I think there has been silence yeah. in the, the the previous generations and how they were able to just in a, in a sort of big general way hand over the baton to the next generation of men and say, here yeah. is the definition, run with it. And perhaps you're going to change it along the way, but here is something that mm-hmm. we've given to you to work with. And in that also, there was a silence on giving the, the, mm-hmm. the generations down the line the right to actually change the definition. Mm-hmm. That we don't have to hold on to these essentialisms in such a way that they become debilitating to our own progress. I mean, if you read mm-hmm. in history, um, women have occupied positions of influence and power yeah. in, in various, Afri- even in African contexts. And there was nothing about those women that was apparently not feminine. They were very feminine. I mean, the, the Egyptian societies that were very developed yeah. in, in, in yeah. ancient days, these people had women who were in very high positions of power. And there was nothing wrong with that. They were still feminine in those positions of power. In fact, it probably did very well for society to have a feminine leadership. There was nothing... And so... Because we have not been given the right to allow those changes to happen through time by the forefathers, so to speak, then we have struggled with the idea that we can change things. Mm. That we don't have to hold on to what was said yesterday. And that those definitions actually are okay for them to be changed along the way. But also subsequent to that, subsequent to it, I think if we had to be honest as men, the pain that our lack of direction and leadership and understanding of masculinity, mm. the pain it has caused women is really what has caused the feminine voice oh, that we are hearing, oh highly word. critical of masculinity, to be where it is right now. Number one, we cannot shut that voice down because it's doing a good job for women. Women need to be heard about yeah. their pain and their yeah. suffering. It's no longer about being feminine. It's about being abused. So it's a completely different thing. And women need to be allowed to voice that. And men need to hear that and empathize, have compassion, and respond in compassion and empathy. Because it's something that we need to do something about. Um, But what it has done, unfortunately, is that it has mixed the abusive, painful voice of women with this desire for women to redefine masculinity, which then has caused... A, a tension because men are saying, well, I really would like to be defined according to what maleness is, not yeah. according to what femininity is. I'm still struggling to even understand yeah. femininity and masculinity. I'm still struggling to grapple with the definition about my own identity. I wouldn't like it being imposed by a yeah. different um, agenda and a different sex too. So therefore, can we stop criticizing and throwing stones? Yeah. Let's talk about the wrong that men are doing. But let's not go overboard to say, let's define what masculinity actually should be. 
Because perhaps there is another mm. layer of conversation that still needs to happen so that men can yeah. be able to say it's okay for women to start putting a definition on us that we can start to negotiate yeah. with them. And I think it's that democratic negotiation process that masculinity yeah. also yeah. requires as femininity requires so that it could be a respectable process and one that is encouraging and both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where do we start... Uh, this process, because I, I do think that to some extent we have to have where a place to start. Because um, just looking around, I mean, um, at times when this conversation are had amongst women and in their in their movements, uh, it's, it's quite it can be quite tricky for a man to join in either to support or to want to hear because those can be quite annihilating space. Um, just to share an experience with you when I went to attend a talk on uh, Hori's life. It was quite a critical talk to attend because um, it was more of um, women being angry towards a man and everything that has to do with a man, either suggestion or either just a question uh, is, is, is being criticized. Then those become spaces that men do not even want to go to to engage and to try to uh, to learn from from women what they expect of them i can i can only think of most men who wanting to join these spaces and this conversation and how they might feel terrified to even start and asking those kind of uh, uh, questions or inviting themselves in those spaces yeah i mean you're right there's a difficulty in attending or being part of a space that is highly critical and even verbally abusive towards masculinity. And it's even more so if you are the male yeah. that is trying to be gentler yeah. and much more accommodating and understanding, compassionate, uh, basically trying to become much more what would be typically associated with femininity in order for mm-hmm. femininity to embrace you. But then it's rejecting you. It's being hard on you and you're feeling as if this is not a safe space. And I think Mm. what Mm. is necessary there is for the feminine voice Mm. in the room to recognize the harm that they are doing and try and do something about that harm. While the male voice also recognizes the real pain that the feminine voice is expressing and be able to forgive the feminine voice because, quite frankly, that pain had to be expressed somewhere somehow. And perhaps you just came into a forum that you shouldn't have been part of because it was actually a forum where women found safety and security to voice their pain. And so that's something that you need to recognize. My, my rule of thumb, to be honest, is you've got to tread these waters with a lot of compassion and real genuine compassion towards what's really going on and what has been going on for years so that you can at least be able to accommodate and not feel offended too quickly as if it's a personal attack on you but rather understand that it's really the condition of the moment that you are. Yeah, yeah. But how do you become compassionate if you're, you yourself are still struggling with your own self-compassion? Because the society and the media and the social media platform do not seem to articulate or rather uh, just like have anything positive to say about an African man or man in general. I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing about... Um, getting your convictions or your understanding and training your thinking through you know platforms like social media is that it requires you to have done a bit more homework on being able to sift through 
and know what to take and what not to take. And I think uh-huh. you you've you've got to just go into it yeah. knowing that not everything there is a, a genuine voice that I need to listen to, but some of it is honestly just for me to look at and observe from a distance, but don't let it affect the way I think and believe. Um, it's it's not yeah. It's in fact, it's not just a problem of social media, but it's a problem of the information age that you are in. The highest skill that is going to have to be gained in this age is to be able to choose the right information. Information is all over the place. You go to Google, you can find anything. You Google masculinity and issues around masculinities and femininities, it'll give you tons of, of opinion pieces and academic pieces and whatnot, but you've got to be able to sift through it. And that is the skill set that we need to be able to employ when we when we go into these kind of platforms and forums. However, they do at some point also give a reflection of yeah. a kind of domineering discourse, a kind of thinking that has dominated. And I think particularly because a lot of what you find in social media mm. is repetition. So you find the same thinking being repeated in different ways by different people. And so in a way you can say... This is generally how people are thinking and generally the way that I need to poise myself to respond is to this kind of thing. But that is just at the level of getting knowledge. I think at the level of getting information or knowledge to intervene, you need to do a bit more deeper work. You've got to trace back these issues into history. You've got to go back to your own family circumstances, your own community circumstances and understand how these things have been interpreted and understood and how they play out in those contexts. You've got to be able to see how this is not a new thing. It has been happening for decades in eons. And quite frankly, perhaps it wasn't addressed mm-hmm. enough until X or decade X. And then there's another movement that started and started addressing it somewhat, but didn't finish the job. And you've got to know when to pick up and be able to continue with this kind of, of, of work or journey. Because I think what I wouldn't want to say is that we should stop with the work. We've got to continue challenging it. We've got to continue engaging it. We've got to continue engaging the ideas around what maleness and what femaleness actually means. Because if we don't, what happens is that there's a default understanding that's going to take much more place, take a bigger place, and then that is going to maybe not be the best understanding. And I think it's yeah, that thing that you yeah. talked about earlier, that when there's a vacuum or there's a gap of definition, we're going to hold on to something. Remember, if you are walking in the dark, and you have no idea where you're going, you're going to want to hold on to anything that gives you some kind of security. And issues of identity are always issues around finding a sense of security in who you are. And therefore, people are going to gravitate towards something or other. So we've got to keep on engaging the discourse, engage the questions, engage the answers that are being given. Don't stop so that we have something much more informed on the table to take on every now and again. Lastly, what I want to say about this is let's create our own forums that are much more healthier. Let's create forums and platforms that can accommodate a very healthy, healed voice. Because that's the one that's going to take us. Yeah. I was about to ask you about, actually, thank you for touching on that one. I was about to ask you, uh, I mean, because... Most conversation when it comes to masculinity, they are more academically inclined, where a layman, a person in Soweto and Alexander cannot understand whatever you mean or what you say. But behaviorally, if you kind of dilute the conversation to be quite understandable by a layman, you can be able to get information into them. But in those spaces, I would like to know, I mean, 
with the generation that's just came after us, the AMA 2000, they usually refer to them as AMA 2000. Uh, I can only imagine how difficult it must be for them to sift through the information if they were born during the information age, because everything that comes, they just take it as it comes. They're unable to rather sift through and take what information is needed um, uh, to them. But at the same time, there isn't anything that helps them. Most of the time, guys, with regard to, I think I want to say, we, we don't have role models. We don't have positive masculine men. We don't have positive leaders. Uh, we still have to point them out. So it's not predominant for a man to do good, behave good, and portray healthy masculine habits. So it's difficult for a layman and a young boy to adopt or rather take one man as his own role model with regard to definition or blueprint of what a real man looks like. So how does one actually start building that for themselves? Um, I really do think that we've got an amazing platform in, in, in already what we've got as social media to start to use it to build identity or ideas around positive masculinities and in that way capture an audience that is already waiting to be captured. I think one of the first things we've got to to do um, is to stop um, criticizing and, and pathologizing people or young people for being who they are at this point in time. And yeah. we've got to own up to the mistakes that yeah. we need to own up to on why they are left without someone to give them some kind of direction. What exactly? Let's own up to that. And this is both yeah. in, in yeah. the feminine yeah. and in the masculine. They both need to own up to that because there has been a, a vacuum yeah. that that has caused a default understanding to come in. And that default understanding has just not been good. I think Part of what we need to do then is use these platforms to change the conversation by putting up these images and these conversations around being comfortable in this new masculinity and quite frankly, being happy, not just comfortable and being successful. And, and because it's a relational matter, like I said, it's a, it's a masculinity that is defined in relation to femininity. I think it's just as good that you find healed, healthy feminine voices talking mm. about masculinity in a positive way, encouraging young people, while you also find healed, healthy male voices, masculine voices, talking about this new masculinity mm. and talking about how exciting and, and comfortable they are. I can tell you the way information works is that the more of it there is, the more it becomes the norm, the more it becomes the dominant hegemonic idea and it just takes over. And so the more we put out there, actually, in volume, the more we're going to start to see some significant change. Young people are on social media right now. During this lockdown, we are living on social media. So they really want to, they really want to be spoken to on those platforms that they already are in. Yeah. And I think outside of that, really, let's also try our best to reach young people at specific times in their development, yeah. where they are amenable. Say a young person only fully develops at around age 25, to be honest. That's when the brain is fully developed, which means there are moments when that brain is developing that we can actually yeah. intervene and speak 
and be present in practice and in words to make sure that the yeah. thinking is being molded in a particular direction. What's happening right now is that the media is taking over and is present in those moments. Advertising takes over and is mm. present in those moments. And perhaps it's not the best way. And so the, my last point that I was going to make was around that. We've got to deliberately, mm. deliberately intervene and talk to and engage media around kind of messages they put out because if these messages are not for our society not for the time we're in right now not helping then honestly speaking it needs to be done away with because we yeah. are just going to create a problem that we do not have the resources to even resolve it yeah future. and that's the scary thing to think about i actually was reading an article that was written by Kopano Ratele and Malusi about uh, how fiction and how media defines a real man in, in South Africa. And you know, I know that one is pushing the sales, but the injustice is that whatever advertisement and media leaves behind the societies are, are, are really catastrophic. And they come back and record them as things that men did or the other or women did forgetting that the same kind of message that was put out was their responsibility. So those are kind of challenging things that I actually always ask myself with regard to the social responsibility around media companies. And one of the things that I wanted to actually hear from you with regard to, I actually wanted to know more about romantic relationship and men and whether, because uh, I do think when one doesn't have a properly fully made identity of themselves, either a good blueprint of what it means to be a real man, I can only imagine how they will struggle to be a man in a relationship or in relation to the other in a romantic relationship. And I wonder if this this undefined identity or this um, problematic masculinity is the one that is contributing to the current struggle in terms of, of, of romantic relationship or in terms of relating to everyone actually in the society. Yeah, I mean, look, if you, if you, if you think about what it takes to be in a healthy relationship, um, we can go on yeah. forever about that. I mean, there's various aspects of... Um, just mental health that you've got to have in a very healthy state about your own self so that you can be healthy for the person that you are relating to and for the romantic relationship to not suffocate because it's, it really is just a healing bed for you. And that romantic relationship is not thriving in itself, but you are. Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot that it yeah. takes for us to, to, to construct or create good, healthy relationships. And obviously in there, the healed male, the male that is is happy and satisfied and confident in himself, is the male that will probably enjoy that relationship most. Also, he's not threatened by femininity. He doesn't feel a sense of loss of self just because a woman is taking on a, a femininity or an idea of femininity that perhaps may be trying to threaten his masculinity. Because he's confident in his understanding of who he is as a man. And that's important. But let's be frank about the fact that really, what, I, mean, I don't know, I'm going to speculate, but you know, it's what, 20% of all rom romantic relationships 
really have this kind of healed mental state of people. People are broken and they come into the relationship broken and they really are looking for affirmation and they're looking for um, security and comfort and all those things. And that's the reality of what you are facing. So how do we still sustain a romantic relationship in this kind of context? And again, I'm going to go back to my, my word. My, my word that I keep on drumming is the word compassion. You really do have to take a step back and say, you know what, my dear, I see that the way you are is not because it's your fault. And quite frankly, for me to expect you to have been perfect and healed and all these things is really asking for too much. It's okay. Let's be broken together. But at least we know that when we make mistakes, we can come back and accept and admit that this was an error. The way I treated and thought about you was erroneous. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm broken. And can you forgive me for my brokenness? And can we try and move on? Second to that, we've got to be able to know how far we can actually take it. Know how far you've been hurt and know how far you can still go on with the reserve tank that you might that you still have. Which part of it means you've got to take some time off romantic relationships actually to replenish, which is important and 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 something that perhaps very few people do because they they get into a state of dependency and a state of anxiety and they jump into relationships when they're not really ready to to hold it. It's it's a job. It's, it's it takes work. So it's going to need you to invest in it to a certain extent, and you've got to have something in you to invest and so those things matter and it goes both ways it's both for for femininity and for masculinity we are all being charged here to put in something of value to be able to get this relationship together however Mm. it's also possible to go to to get to a place of of happiness and health in romantic relationships which then replicates or creates a good identity of masculinity and femininity. It is possible. And I don't think we should give up because we realize that, oh my goodness, we're all broken. We should strive for it. We should have this idea that we want to get there and we should strive for it. And I say it's possible because, quite frankly, hope in a good outcome is exactly what any relationship starts on. You, we are all in it with a sense of hope that we are actually yeah. going to, by the time this relationship ends, whether it's when I die or, you know, whatever, I would have really had a healthy, long run of something that was good. So that is a place of hope. It's not a place of assurance. You don't really yeah. know. You actually are hoping. So if we both agree that actually this is based on this thing called hope, then we should be able to stick to it throughout. Each time yeah. we admit our fault, we admit our brokenness, yeah. we still can mm. go back to the concept of hope that we can start again, press the restart button, go back and try again because there's still hope. And there is still hope when people are, are, are allowed and able to say, let's press the restart button. And I think that's important. Let's create an environment of constantly pressing a restart button. Sincerely so. And being deliberate to press it every now and again. So that there isn't a time and place where we think we are perfect, but there's always a time and place where we think we are constantly moving towards a state of what we think is perfect for us. 